Hello, everybody, and welcome along to the Event Industry News podcast. My name is James Dixon, wishing everybody a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you are joining today's podcast from. The podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage welcome along everybody and uh welcome to our guest on today's podcast patrick blattner is the co-founder and chief product officer for the indoor lab and joins the podcast today from all the way over in orange county california patrick thanks very much for joining us today and uh, welcome to the podcast thank you james for having me i'm looking forward to it um People who are tuning into this podcast and, and people who are working in the events industry will know that, um, that, that tracking and uh, data tracking and, and understanding uh, how and where and when and why your attendees are moving around your event is, is absolutely critical to planning, to future operations, to analyzing what went right and sometimes what went wrong in your event. Um, Patrick is a man with significant experience in this field. Um, and rather than me sort of uh, fudging my way through explaining what it is that you do, Patrick. Um, let's hand this straight over to you. Welcome to the podcast and tell us a little bit about what you do professionally. Certainly. Um, so the indoor lab is focused around indoor tracking of everybody at the event. So when you think about the organizer, the exhibitor and the attendee, each of those gains something out of attending the event. And we do this by using uh, proprietary Bluetooth sensor hardware that is dual tent sensors, something we've used and built. We've built over time and have been doing this in industry for over a decade, but we've just brought it to um, the trade show and event space. So these, these devices are positioned at the booth and or at the doors, uh, the exhibit halls and the sessions. And so from there, a BLE tag is put on the badge of each of the people walking through. So now the organizer can understand what, where people go, what's important, what places they engage with, but more importantly, in some cases, where they don't engage. So exception reporting and things that are kind of anomalies in the data, we often highlight that from some of the history that we've gone through. Now, from an exhibitor perspective, the exhibitor actually gets passively gen that's privacy compliant. So this is something completely new to the market. Um, and they get a whole host of analytics on people that visited, how long they dwelled, power hours at their um, exhibit floor, excuse me, at, at their uh, floor on their um, booth space, if you will. Mm -hmm. But one of the important things here, and you guys have been dealing with GDPR, and I had to deal with it as I previously worked in the airport space as well. Um, so privacy compliance. So we have something called brokered connections. So think I'm going to play role play with you, James. Sure. So you, you have a booth. I walk into your booth. I'm the CFO of Target. So you're presenting to five people. And I'm standing there, I'm watching you present. I then walk away after two minutes, but you didn't have a chance to speak with me. Mm -hmm. So in your dashboard, you see that a C-level executive from Target Corporation attended, you know, spent two minutes at your booth, okay? But from a privacy compliance standpoint, I didn't give you permission to see the rest of my data. So sure. you just have that information. So we have, think of a social connection. You can now click to connect with me, the attendee, and if I accept, it unmasks the rest of the data. So mm -hmm. now you have my email address, my phone number, and my name. So here's where it gets really interesting. The attendee, after the show, he now gets a dashboard as well. 
and he sees all the sessions he went to with all of the different documents from the session. He sees all the exhibitors, exhibitors he attended, but I, as an attendee, the CFO of Target, for example, I can click connect to automatically unmask the data in your dashboard, which that becomes a hot lead. So now I'm putting the power and privacy in the hands of the exhibitor reaching out to the attendee or the attendee automatically unmasking the data in his dashboard. So that's completely new and patent pending that we have in this space. And so that's, the, go ahead. I, I, I was just gonna say that, that this straight away is, is, is we're identifying already with this type of technology, different layers to the, that the technology can deliver. Um, and uh, as well as things like the, the actual tracking and the physical movement of people, what we're also now using, you, you can utilize your technology to do is actually to, to unlock and expand the quality of content that people are gaining from an event whether they be a visitor or an exhibitor because i'm sure everybody out there can reference a time where they've gone as a visitor to an event and they've wanted to speak to a particular company and they've waited around for five or ten minutes at the booth or the stand and the guys are just so busy and you look at your watch and you think i'm going to have to go and then you forget all about that really important company that you want to speak to and what you're now getting is a prompt afterwards to jog your memory and say aha that was the company that i didn't get to speak to let's get their details that's correct yeah and it, and i i used to do 25 30 trade shows around the world in the airport space and so i was either exhibiting or i was attending and i would often you know try and fumble with cards coming back over to the states trying to recollect who the person was, how important it was to me. And so what we're doing is we're bridging that gap and minimizing um, lost data, if you will, from just memory, notes, cards, et cetera. Now, I know there are scanners out in the marketplace as well, and we work closely with some registration companies, and we just, through APIs, bring in scanner data. So this can also be an add-on to registration companies that want to actually provide another level of value mm -hmm. to the exhibitor as well. Um, so, so that's one side of our business. So there's two verticals. There is the tracking and performance side, which we're speaking about, and we have proprietary Bluetooth hardware, and then we use the BLE sensors. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is the tracking and safety. Okay. And that's where the LIDAR aspect comes in. So we're going to be the first company in, uh, in, I think in both Europe and the United States to bring LIDAR to the event space. LIDAR, if you're not familiar with it, Autonomous driving vehicles um, have these big domes on top of them. And in those big domes are these spinning LIDAR uh, units, if you will. And they've been really big over the years. Mm -hmm. And LIDAR is light detection and ranging. So about eight beams of light spinning at 10 rotations a second are coming out. And they're throwing off data of 10 positions per second per device it hits. Lots of data, right? So as time has gone on, the cost of LIDAR has come down. And now the units are about the size of a coffee can, but in the next year, um, they're starting to be solid state. So now it's gonna be several hundred dollars. So right. now you're getting to this point where you can take LIDAR and you can use that in the front of convention centers tied with VMS solutions for cameras to then detect if someone's walking and drops a bag and walks away from it. So when we think of soft target threats, insider threats of tracking employees, all of those things are part of the second vertical that we bring to bear. So it's tracking and performance, the first piece we spoke of, and then tracking and safety from the convention center side is the second piece we're bringing to bear. And we're doing this because in the airport spaces, we worked with some of the largest airports in the world previous, 
the big concern is pre-security and soft target threat analysis. And the same holds true in anywhere where people gather in big crowds. And so we want to bring new technology to bear in the event space. And we'll be kind of displaying this at IAEE's Expo Expo this year as well on display. And, and on that subject, um, just, just prior to uh, Patrick and I uh, coming on air, if you will, and, and recording um, today's podcast, um, there's a press release that, that, that uh, you guys put out. And um, not only will you be at Expo Expo, but you, you've been announced, as I understand, the, uh, the official analytics and passive tracking provider, not just for this year, but for next year as well at that event. That's correct. That's correct. And we're going to be showcasing for the first time LIDAR. So I'll be speaking on LIDAR. I have a session for an hour to speak on LIDAR. I'm going to have one of the representatives from the LiDAR manufacturing company, which is actually a unicorn LiDAR company out of Silicon Valley that will be there with me. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll be talking about the transition on how the form factor has come from this big $50,000 unit down to a few thousand dollars and then where it's going into the future with solid state and how it can be applied to make a safer, more secure environment for events. Mm -hmm. you, you, you've touched briefly on, on, on the ability to use this from a security point of view, get the instance of, of somebody maybe dropping a bag and then walking away. So I, I, would, I would assume then that uh, the latency and uh, from a real-time analysis point of view, it, it's a very, very quick, uh, low latency uh, connection that you're getting between the various devices that are interacting with each other to make up the entire system. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, when you look at LiDAR, it's, it's uh, 3D LiDAR. And there's only one company in the world that does it. And so I'll give you an example. This 3D LiDAR right now is used to protect the Aramco oil fields. So they have this set up around all of the biggest oil fields in the world. And they're detecting if there's a breach at a certain perimeter. Now, mm -hmm. 3D LiDAR, what it enables you to do in real time with three centimeter accuracy is determine if that is a dog a human, a deer, or an inanimate object. And so with this 3D LiDAR capability, which was actually software that was acquired out of the military and then brought into the consumer space, we're some of the first to actually work with this and bring it to the indoor space. In fact, my partner and I, we were the first to bring it into the airport space and do a test with the Denver airport about two years ago. And so from that, um, we've advanced and looked at new software and ways in which we can leverage this and to give you an idea of um, real time integrated with cameras, do you remember when this issue at the Fort Lauderdale airport happened about two years ago, where a guy in, um, he was at baggage and he picked up a gun and he started shooting people in the United States uh, from I do, baggage. I do, I, 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 do, I do remember the news footage of it, yes. Yeah, unfortunately. So in a case like that, here's how LIDAR could have been used. So if LiDAR was set up around the environment and it can look out 150 feet per device, so you don't have to have a ton of these, then what you would have seen, like ants on a table, you put your finger down on it and ants actually go in different directions, scurry at different rates of movement, it would have noticed that detection in real time of change in behavior and rate of movement. Mm -hmm. And it would have then pinpointed the PTZ camera on that location and LiDAR, because of the accuracy, can be used with a, a VMS solution, an integration solution, to then fo LiDAR follows that person and it drives the camera to follow that person. So alert goes out to security and it's tracking and showing who that person is. So that's one of the things we're going to be showing at IAEE as well.
So and, that, 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 and that's automated and that sounds like it's you it's utilizing you're starting to tap into the ai sector there in terms of how a camera identifies that particular individual and then will lock on and then track them that's correct yeah yeah and it's 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 uh, like kids in a candy store if you've been working in this space we had been working with you know in the retail space national monuments airports for you know close to a decade now and we were using Bluetooth 2.0 back in the day, then Bluetooth 4.0, then optical cameras, but you get into an airport and when you have shadowing effects and, and glossy floors, and then you have to go from an optical camera to an infrared camera. So you're stacking tech on top of tech on top of tech. So we we're always looking for a solution that could eliminate all of the cable drops and all the tech to actually resolve the problem. No lighting conditions, no night condition issues. Um, you can have, you can have uh, uh, sand conditions, et cetera, and this LiDAR works with that. So that one technology could be used around security checkpoints in 3D to actually put up four of these instead of 25 cable drops of different tech to then track everyone moving through the environment. And it's Unbelievable. Just, it's really cool. Just, just to clarify the whole, um, the, the, the whole process of setting up a system in an indoor event space, um, you, you mentioned at the very beginning uh, utilizing uh, Bluetooth low emission. Um, uh, it's Bluetooth low, it's, yeah, so it's BLE dual tent sensors. So they, they sniff, but they also work with the iBeacon protocol and they can work with, uh, they can work with you know, uh, handheld you know, apps and things like that and message mm -hmm. to people, et cetera. So these devices, um, we basically place them. They've got battery, so it lasts for five days. The sensor does. Of course, the beacons last for a few months. But you place the sensor down. It's like the size of a makeup case, and it's got a five-day lifespan on it. And it's, uh, we set the RF signal to the size of the booth. And the reason what's really important here, there's two things. We learned to scale back in the day when we were working with some of the largest retailers. We had to go out and set up in these uh, retail environments in small proximity and set the RF signal to the size of the zone, mm -hmm. which is just like uh, a trade show. Mm -hmm. So now we have tools. So we basically go and we place these things down and we walk through with our tool and auto connects and it automatically calibrates and tunes each of these. And so we can just walk the floor and auto connect and auto tune and calibrate. And that's one of the important things and how we got pulled into the trade show space was we were helping other companies clean data early last or early this year. And then we realized there might be an opportunity here for us to enter this space. And so that's how we ended up getting into this space. And the other thing that's important, these Bluetooth sensors that are sniffing, well, they're not only sniffing the devices on your badge, they're also picking up 25 to 30% of everyone who's got a Fitbit, a wearable, and all of those other devices. So there's a lot of double counting going on. So unless you're stripping out the Fitbits and the wearables outside of the BLEs that are on the tag, you've got suspect data. And so yeah. that's one of the things we found as well. Because I know that um, when you're talking about mobile devices, it, it, you know, I wouldn't say that there's a, uh, there's a conflict, but mobile devices are constantly pinging out signals, aren't they? Looking for connections and you can use that to track and, and looking for Wi-Fi connections. And most people nowadays, when they go to a, certainly a B2B show, are carrying 
two, three, sometimes four devices that are looking to connect to networks. When you think of them having a, a mobile phone, maybe two mobile phones, uh, a, a tablet or an iPad of some description, a laptop that they may open up at some point to do some work and check emails. So um, it's important that there's a clarification when it comes to generating the data in terms of numbers, that there's no conflicts between the amount of devices people have got and then the final data that's being generated. Yeah, and there's a lot of double counting. So, so phones, we don't see many phones. And the reason being is when you pair your device to let's say your car Bluetooth, it's only in pair mode for 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So we don't see many phones. What you do see are all of these wearables, over a thousand OEM wearables, and they're all chirping very loud and they're all talking. <laughs> and you see all of those. And we did a test at the Orlando airport two years ago. And we wanted to see in the US, and it's probably even higher in Europe, but we wanted to see in the US, what's the penetration of Bluetooth wearables? And so with that test, we saw at that time, it was 20 to 22%. So now moving a, you know, a year and a half, two years forward, plus you're in Europe, you probably have a 30% number there. You've got double counting going on. And if you're not weeding out those Fitbits and wearables, well, they're, they're cluttering the data as well. So you have to have a backend infrastructure that has positioning capabilities, it has filtering capabilities, um, and then all of that has to be uh, applied and cleaned uh, before it's delivered in the dashboard. And so that's what you know, we kind of learned that years ago, then moving into the airport space, because if your wait times aren't dead on accurate, people are tweeting and people yeah. are angry and they're upset. So you were constantly getting audited. And so we've lived in a very stringent environment. So we, we're coming to the table with um, arguably, as we're saying, the most accurate solution on the market today, and we'll be bringing that out at IAE. And, and, and you mentioned something there about um, about people are going to be tweeting and et cetera, et cetera. And I had an experience recently where uh, I came back through an airport after I'd been away on, on, on family holiday and we landed back. And there was clearly an issue at, at the passport control uh, desks because the queue must have been three or four hundred meters long it stretched as far back as the eye could see yeah. and you went on twitter instantly because i thought there's got to be stuff on twitter about this and there were people complaining what was interesting though is the wait times that they were complaining about varied massively so they were tweeting the airport's twitter handle and putting i've waited 20 minutes and then the next tweet would say I've waited 30 minutes and you look at the two tweets and they're pretty much timed a few minutes apart from different Twitter yeah. users. Somebody else was 45 minutes and the variation was, was massive. And I just, and actually thinking then about what you've just said, this is a system where actually if you've got complaints about certain areas, you can actually see precisely what those wait times were. You can see how long it took people to, to, to transmit from one side to the other side, rather than just having to take their word for it or looking on Twitter for instances. Yeah. So you were constantly audited. And, um, you know, one of the other things that we were innovators in is we were the first to tag the TSA canines. So when you think of dogs sniffing people at security mm -hmm. checkpoints, I did a presentation about a year and a half ago in the airport space where we did a test with TSA and we had all of the canines with BLEs on them. So when they came to work, we saw when they came to work, we saw when they were on staff these, and we saw when the dogs were on staff, what the percent impact on wait times were. So when canines are on staff, they impacted wait times by 19%. But it's just a number of things we've done historically before we entered this space that have been really interesting and really kind of led to where we are today. 
um, and really looking forward to talking about some of these things and showing our solutions uh, at IAEE here, as well as at Event Tech Live here in November. Yeah, and, and you've touched on something there. Um, uh, for those of you who may, may not be aware, and if, if you've not looked on the um, Event Tech Live website yet, um, Event Tech Live goes up to, to two days uh, this year for the first time, 7th and 8th. And um, on day two of Event Tech Live at the old Truman Brewery in London, that's uh, the 8th of November. Patrick, you're going to be uh, you're going to be delivering one of the sessions there, aren't you? Talking about some of the stuff that we've covered today in the, in the podcast. That's correct. And, and I think I'm going to split it. I have a half hour, so I'll probably talk a little bit about, you know, the tracking and performance side using our Bluetooth capabilities. And I'll probably bring in one or two case studies of what we learned um, with some of either the big retailers, airports or the Empire State Building. And then from there, I'll move into LIDAR and talk about and show some examples on how LIDAR can actually pinpoint track and show how it then can drive the camera. Mm -hmm. and, and once you see it, it, it really kind of opens the mind to, while there are technologies out there, we're just at the forefront of leveraging technologies for real time tied with other solutions that can really alert authorities and pinpoint if events do occur um, or potential for events to occur. A lot of what we've we've mentioned so far today has been um, related to the real time aspect of it. So what people can see actually during event operations and and, and how quick that information is to transmit back to them. Um, so I, I guess I have two questions there. Number one, how do how do the uh, organisers and the operations team actually see? You know, how is that transmitted to them visually? How do they interact with that data whilst the event is in operation? And secondly, how is the data that's generated as a result of your system um, being used by organizers post-event? How are they utilizing it, you know, from event to event to actually look at how they may change things or analyze that data? Yeah, so um, now our first event is going to be IAEE. So um, here's we, we've taken what we've learned so far and we've applied it. We have a, uh, a solution that we've built from the ground up. So we have our own proprietary solution that's a visual platform. Um, the event organizer will be able to see the, disper the disbursement of where people are, which sessions are the most popular, which ones are overfilled, which ones aren't getting any attention at all. They're gonna be able to take that information and slice it by C-level director, manager, and see the flows and patterns of all of those people going through the show. Um, but in addition to that, one of the things we did in uh, the past spring when we were helping another company that was actually based out of Europe, by the way, is we showed them the percent of people that did not go in the exhibit hall and did not touch an exhibitor. And that number was astonishing, well, astonishing large compared to what they thought it was and we didn't know because we didn't have anything to compare it to um, but those are those are some of the things so it's going to be a cloud-based dashboard so they can log in in real time and see exactly what's happening and where people are at any given point in time um, what alerts we're going to apply uh, have still yet to be determined because we're we're going to cover the uh, registration area with lidar so there's going to be a big screen up that's showing the real dots moving which are all the people in that area. So it'll show the number of people in the registration area and the saturation and things of that nature, just to show the real-time capability. Um, and then that applied with uh, the other analytics dashboard, they're gonna be able to see the whole event um, in real time. So now you've got that the exhibitor will be able to take that information from the uh, 
the amount of traffic they were getting on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you think of power hours or how much staff they need to have on staff at certain days um, for next year's event, but also extended past the event because we have an email campaign that goes out to continue the connection with the attendees and the exhibitors for two weeks after the event. So we're extending that value proposition and extending the relationship with three emails to connect the dots. I don't know if I answered all your questions there, but there's a lot to the mix, yeah. Yeah, and, and one thing um, that, that cropped up here that I've noted is um, event organizers, certainly when I look at sort of uh, tr business trade shows is a very good example. Historically, are very concerned about headline numbers. So when they're looking to sell the show for the following year, they will publish the headline numbers that relate to that show. How many people came to, we had 36,000 visitors through the door. Um, now, what they've never been able to do and what they've never had the ability to do is actually um, either A, absolutely accurately confirm that that many people were, were in the room either at any one point or that was the total amount of visitors. But if that figure is accurate, is to actually be able to say to people and, and, and exhibitors and sponsors where those 36,000 people moved within the building. And sometimes it's great to say, have that as a headline figure, but if that amount of people came in and all turned right and none of them turned left, all the people to the left have had a, a pretty fruitless experience. And I guess this is, this is going to help to dispel some of the myths surrounding headline numbers when it comes to selling shows. You know, you raise a really good point. I guess I didn't even think about this, but in the airport space, um, you would put FIDs or flight information displays based on where people came in to direct them to load balance the queues, right? Mm -hmm. So now if you think of the same from a sponsorship perspective, where do I want to put my signage? I want to put it where the people are. So now we're going to have empirical data to show exactly where the disbursement of people are and where to put the signage and so in addition to that, I, I, I failed to mention that we also have sponsorship for the exhibitor dashboard. So I log in, I'm company XYZ, I log in, and there's a sponsorship opportunity for um, you know, a sponsor to actually have their uh, brand for awareness for the period in time in which that dashboard is available to that company. But the attendee dashboard that goes out to, let's say, the 15,000 people that attended, they also have on their dashboard that sponsorship location as well. Uh -huh. But to your, to your earlier point, the direction of where people go in the airport space is very similar to what you can do here because they wanted to put all of the relevant information where the massive crowds were going and that's where you get the most bang for your buck and that's exactly what we're gonna be able to do here as well but it's just something that wasn't top of mind. I'd written all these notes because there's so many things that we wanna cover. <laughs> Yeah, that you're trying to like put the kitchen sink into 40 minutes, and, <laughs> but but exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, and and and, and as you put it further, to, uh, there's a big buzz term uh, that's always banded around over here of ROI, you know, return on investment, you know, and and um, sponsors, exhibitors are always wanted to see a return on investment. And some people have argued to me in the past that actually return on investment is a a bit of a myth. You know, you you'll you can look at all the data in the world and you'll never really truly be able to either justify it or understand it but certainly it seems to me with something like this when you are selling sponsorship and if you're selling sponsorship of signage or sponsorship banners stuff that's suspended from the ceiling in a big trade hall um, if you can demonstrate to a sponsor that we're going to put yourself here here and here and after that event say to them 
we said we're going to put it here, here and here and look at where the hotspots were. That to me is justifying and enhancing what you sold to them in the first place. You're not giving yourself as an organizer the um, possibility of the sponsor turning around and saying, hmm, we're not quite sure what we got from that. You know, it's interesting. So again, looking back to another industry, because good ideas come from other industries that you can just apply to these industries, right? So we had found, uh, we were working with a large retailer in the US marketplace where they had a four minute looping rotation of a video where they were trying to actually market to people in certain parts of the store. Mm-hmm. Well, now if you, if you realize that people are spending 14, 15 minutes in this area, you can then apply whatever looping video because you know the dwell in those areas are gonna then get that message across. Mm-hmm. So in the retail space, we showed them that the dwell time was actually about a minute and a half. So they cut down their looping video to fit within about a minute. So more of the message could be conveyed to the dwell times of people and how long they were spending there, which could also be applied to um, sponsorships and where people are dwelling and spending time to get more of a message and brand message across to all of the attendees. Mm. But yeah. Uh, and uh, I know a question was asked um, of similar technology recently to um, to organisers as to whether or not they could use this type of in-depth, um, I suppose, geographical analytics, if you can call it that, um, to actually showcase uh, to actually change the costings that they sell the floor space for. Mm based on where the hotspots are. Is this something that you have come across in the retail sector? Um, Presumably working in airports, you've got areas of extremely high value retail space and areas that perhaps are deemed of lower value because of the traffic that they get. Okay, so so from the the retail side, we were able to identify cross-shopping behavior. So we could show that people went to these three locations most. So when they went to the Apple store, then we saw them go over to the Microsoft section of the store and then to this area, right? So what this big retailer did is they moved those sections together so they could cross train the blue shirts so they didn't have as much staff and it made it easier for the customer to get around, right? So that's one way to think about, you know, bringing sections of a store together. Mm -hmm. Now from a retail side in the airport space, I'll give you a case in point. So we know that for example, in terminal B, 80% of the people that fly Frontier Airlines go straight to gate. Of the 20% that don't, we know they touch a retail of $6 or less in in, uh, spend per customer. Mm -hmm. So now it helps you understand, let's put lower price retail locations around Frontier Airline terminals. And so that's one way that we're educating the airport space. Now in the event space, we, we hope to be able to do that kind of valued pricing based on, you know, booths that are in the back, but we haven't really seen that play out um, per se. We've seen retail move around, uh, but not change in rents. And that's kind of what we're getting at here. So um, you're going to be able to determine whether it's a, a, a viable way to you know, to cost these things out, but um, yet to be played out in real time. And we'll see a year from now, I may have some learnings that, that may actually validate that, but, but definitely have heard that as well. Sure. Um, we've been um, speaking on today's uh, podcast with uh, Patrick Blattner. Black, uh, Patrick is the co-founder and chief product officer for the Indoor Lab. Um, and I suppose this is a, a, an apt opportunity as we're running towards the end of time on today's episode of the podcast to remind people that Patrick is going to be over at Event Tech Live later on this year at the old Truman Brewery um, in the East 
Gates end of London um, in Shoreditch, uh, Brick Lane area, um, if you've never been before. Uh, going up to two days, 7th and 8th of November. And on the second day, day two of Event Tech Live, which is the 8th of November, Patrick is going to be delivering a session. And uh, anybody tuning into today's podcast who's been intrigued by what Patrick has had to say and explain about the indoor lab and about the technology that these guys have and possess and, and can deploy for you, that would be a great time if you are coming along to Event Tech Live to um, come and see Patrick's session. And uh, I'm sure you'll be around uh, during that day, will you, if, if people want to maybe meet and if you've got questions Actually, after that well, session? The 7th and the 8th. Yeah, I plan on using this as an opportunity to really meet people. We're trying to develop partnerships, not only in the US, but over in Europe as well. Sure. We've worked globally. When we were in the airport space, we worked with the largest airport distributor based out of Geneva, Switzerland. So we were doing global stuff. We worked with Dusseldorf Airport, Changi, Bangkok. Um, so we, we consider our mindset kind of a global mindset. So we're looking to build partnerships. Yes. Excellent. And, and, and anybody looking to get in contact um, with Patrick and the team at the Indoor Lab, I think theindoorlab.com is the website address. Um, so head over there. And uh, I've been on there myself. You'll find uh, uh, nice, simple explanations about the systems and the services that Patrick has spoken about today on the podcast and ways and means to get in touch with the guys there. And at this point, we should say thank you very much to Patrick um, for joining us. Patrick is over in Orange County in California. So we're recording this mid-afternoon in the UK. So it's early morning over there. Patrick, thanks very much for joining the podcast today. And thanks very much for joining us at a very early start uh, time for you. Well, we really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to meeting you when Fantastic. I'm over the event. Fantastic. The uh, event... Tech, uh, the uh, Event Tech Live, as I said, is uh, at the Old Truman Brewery on the 7th and 8th of, of November. Um, hop on to eventtechlive.com uh, and uh, have a look at the program and the exhibitor profile going up to two days this year from one, uh, from one day as it has been so far. Um, so bigger and better and more opportunity for people to get along to there and find out uh, about what's happening in the tech industry at the moment. The podcast itself is brought to you by our own sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems. Winner of best event management platform at the 2017 event tech awards to learn how engage can make your business more profitable visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage which brings us nicely to the end of today's podcast our thanks once again to patrick blattner from the indoor lab for joining us all the way from california today my name's james dixon and we'll see you on the next episode of the event industry news podcast thanks very much everybody goodbye goodbye